Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. As our kids head back, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We will close out uh, chapter 3 this morning, and uh, next Sunday we'll begin chapter 4, and um, we'll be there through the rest of this month, um, and then we're, we're going to shift gears just a little bit in, uh, in May and, and focus on some uh, some personal evangelism training right here on, on Sunday mornings. Uh, but before we dive into our text this morning, um, as I shared during our announcement time, we, um, I've had the opportunity to, to work a bit with the North American Mission Board with the, with the replant team. And uh, we got news this morning that um, one of our replanters, um, not, not somebody that's on our team, but, but somebody that's, that's friends with us, several guys on our replant team, um, there was a pastor in St. Louis who passed away last night unexpectedly, had a heart attack and um, passed away, um, leaving behind, obviously, first and foremost, his wife and, and family, um, but also leaving behind a church, um, and a, a church much like us that, that's in the middle of, of rebuilding and, and revitalizing and seeing God breathe new life into it. And so um, I don't have any details. I don't, I don't know this gentleman's name. Um, but, but that doesn't really matter, right? I mean, the, the Lord knows exactly who we're talking about. And so um, and we talked about how we were a part of a family of, of churches called the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, we're called to, to rejoice together, and we're called to weep together. And so what I want to do is just take a, just a couple of minutes as we begin um, to, to pray for this family and this church in, in St. Louis. Um, my, my immediate supervisor on the replant team, a guy named Bob Bickford, is, uh, is friends and, and close with this with this family and with this church, and so um, he'll be walking with, with these folks through the, the next few days. But let's just pause and, and pray for this church and this family in, in St. Louis. Father, we, we come before you thanking you for the privilege of lifting up a sister church to the throne of heaven this morning. Praying desperately for comfort for a wife and for a family who is mourning the sudden loss of husband of a father. We pray for this church in St. Louis, that you will wrap them in their arms as they're in the middle of, of revitalizing and seeing you breathe new life into their church. I pray that this would strengthen their faith in you. That, that even in something tragic like losing their pastor suddenly to a heart attack last night, you would, you would work a miracle in that church. And you would see, we would see men and women and children come to faith in Christ through the church's witness. So they're relying on you in the middle of this suffering. For my friend Bob, I, I just pray for uh, wisdom, for peace as he preaches this morning. For wisdom as he walks through this time with this church and with his family. Pray above all else that in the middle of this tragedy, you would get all the glory and all the honor. And that just as we trust you on good days, we'd be reminded that we trust you in bad days as well. 
We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. Um, all right, so, so 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, so far what we've seen is, is we know that, that Paul's writing to Timothy from prison. And this is, in fact, uh, Paul's last imprisonment. And by now he knows that he's not getting out of this one alive, at least this side of heaven. Um, and so this, uh, when we walked through 1 Timothy last summer and fall, it was written really to, to Timothy as a pastor. And, and Paul, from, from a, a fellow pastor, a mentor to a, to a pastor, and this one's written much more like a friend um, to a dearly loved, uh, as, as he called, Tim, as Paul called Timothy, his son in the faith. And still dealing with some ministry issues, and certainly we're, we're dealing with that this morning. Um, but much more, he's, he's writing to Timothy as, as a trusted friend and a confidant and a co-laborer in the gospel. So Timothy, or Paul begins by reminding Timothy of his legacy of faith in his own family, the way that his, his uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice poured into him as a child and, and reminded, uh, called, called Timothy not to live ashamed of the gospel, but, but in fact even to be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And we'll, we'll see all of those themes uh, brought back up here this morning. Uh, we, we've seen Paul called Timothy uh, to continued faithfulness, even in the light of uncertainty. Even in the middle of, of a culture that, that did not accept um, the, the morals or the truths of the gospel. In fact, a culture that was quite hostile to the gospel. Paul was still calling Timothy to be faithful and to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Does that sound familiar at all? Calls him to be gentle, yes, and, and, and not, not to be uh, constantly involved in, in meaningless arguments, not to just argue for the sake of arguing. To, to be gentle but bold. And what we said in, in that, we said that uh, gentleness is uh, strength under control. It's not weakness. It's, to be gentle is to have strength but to keep it under control. So this morning, we're going to look at some, uh, some continued encouragements for Timothy in the middle of struggles. That's why I've, I've uh, just simply titled this this morning, A Foundation of Faith, how we can stand firm in our faith, even in the middle of, of the storms of life, even in the middle of uncertainties, even in the middle of struggles that come um, that, that are not necessarily unique to life all the times, not, not, that are not necessarily unique to believers. Um, as, we, as we deal with the, the ins and outs of life, but also to stand firm in those things that, that we suffer specifically because we're followers of Christ. And so that's where we are. Let's, if you will uh, take your Bible, let's stand as we uh, read together 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Word of the Lord says this. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. 
You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing of your word. And as we look this morning at how we can have a foundation of faith, will you strengthen our faith in you? Will you strengthen our understanding of the blessing of your word this morning? And will you call us all to faithfulness, even in the middle of a culture that wants nothing to do with you and doesn't understand you or your ways or in many cases your people. Show us what it looks like to live faithful in the middle of struggles. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So this morning we're going to look really at four principles that we see in the text here. Um, th- things that you probably are aware of, but it's, it's always good to be reminded of basics. If, if Paul thought that Timothy, who was serving as a pastor, needed to be reminded of these things, I would say that, that we, even 2,000 years later, whatever occupation we may find ourselves in, uh, whatever, uh, whatever neighborhood, whatever stage of life, I would say we always need to be reminded of the basics because while it's easy for us to read the Old Testament and laugh at the children of Israel for their short memories, and their really fickle faith when it comes to trusting in God, I think we might be more like that than we would care to admit most days. So, so constantly throughout Scripture, you'll have these reminders, just like we have here this morning. The first thing that Paul would tell us in this text, I believe, is, is or he would tell Tim, Timothy, and by extension us, is to remember what you have been taught. Remember what you have been taught. Verses 10 and 11, look at what he says. But you, talking to Timothy, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. We've talked a lot in this book about the false teachers that that Timothy was encountering in the church in Ephesus, that they were just wreaking havoc on, on Timothy and his ministry and, and, and causing all kinds of chaos and confusion within the, within the church there at Ephesus. And then Paul contrasts the, the model of the false teachers with, with what he's taught Timothy. He says, Timothy, you're not like these. You, you've been taught. You followed me. You saw, you saw how I ministered. And he lists nine things here in verses 10 and 11, that, that he showed, that he modeled, that he taught Timothy. My teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, and even the sufferings. You, you saw those, Timothy. You were with me in some of those. Last week, we looked at 19 things that characterize the the false teachers' lives. And so Paul's trying to draw this contrast here, uh, saying this is how these these people who are trying to lead others astray live. 
Timothy, you, you, you know better than that. That's not how you're called to live. Remember what you've been taught. I think one of the, th- one of the important things that we see in this, in this list of items that, that Paul's calling on Timothy to remember is that discipleship does not happen in a vacuum. Discipleship doesn't just happen in a classroom somewhere. Notice here that that Paul doesn't just say, he he mentions teaching, right? You followed my my teaching. That's the first thing you mentioned. But if you look at all these other lists, they they happen outside of a classroom. Paul, Paul didn't tell Timothy, hey, remember the things that I wrote up on the whiteboard for you. Instead, what we see is that Timothy went with Paul, and Paul modeled this life of discipleship for Timothy. Discipleship happens in the course of real life. The things that we learn about who God is and and who we are, and the plans that God has for us, we can learn some of that here. And it's good that we gather together to hear the word of God proclaimed, to worship God together. But, but listen, a lot of these happen in the school of real life. I've learned far more things about ministry outside of seminary than I learned in it. In fact, I, I feel like I could organize a seminary and call it what they don't teach you in seminary. See, what we see here is that, that Timothy learned to, to follow the Lord through his mother, through his grandmother, and from Paul, he, he learned how to continue following the Lord. He learned how to teach, what to do, what not to do, to, how to live as a follower of Christ, how to have patience, how to love brothers and sisters in Christ, which oftentimes requires patience, yes, how to endure tough times, and then, yes, even how to suffer. He learned all these from Paul. In fact, in, by, by following Paul, by, by being a part of his life, T- Timothy learned exactly what Paul uh, commanded the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Through that example, Timothy learned what that looked like in real life. He would have seen Paul at his angriest, and he would have seen Paul at his gentlest. He would have learned what it looks like to follow Christ. So I know we haven't quite reached the the invitation, the application part yet, but but there's a question for us here, and that is, who are you modeling the Christian life for? Not not perfectly, right? So, So not like, like, who are you putting on your best face for? But, but who are you showing what it looks like to follow Christ? Who are you teaching? That, that one day then we could, we could come back and say, listen, remember the things that I've taught you. Not in a classroom, but in, in the school of life. So that's the first thing. Remember, Timothy, remember what you've been taught. Believer, remember what you've been taught through those in your life who've modeled faith well and passed that along. Secondly, we need to, if we're going to have a foundation of faith, we need to recognize the reality of suffering. 
And we talked about that just this morning at the beginning as we prayed for another church that's, that's suffering this morning. Folks, we need to understand that, that just because we're followers of Christ does not exempt us from the suffering that comes in life. I think a lot of times we've, we've bought into this lie that, that because we have faith in Christ, we get exempted from all that, right? So it's so like when I, when I come to faith in Christ, I shouldn't have to worry about uh, getting cancer anymore because that, that's not a reality, right? In fact, there are even some churches that would claim that if you just have enough faith, you won't have to worry about that. You just have enough faith and and and... and and God will spare you from that. So then what do we do when we are diagnosed with something like that? Well, if we bought into that lie, that can be a crushing defeat on us because that means that I didn't have enough faith to avoid it. Listen to me. Don't buy that lie. The simple fact is that, that even as followers of Christ, we still live in a world that does not operate the way God designed it to operate because of sin. And this fallen world brings with it sin, or sickness and pain and death. It brings suffering. Paul was certainly not exempted from any of that. and We'll, we'll see that in just a moment. Instead, we, we follow Christ oftentimes in the middle of of the sufferings that come from life. Can, can, listen, can I tell you something? The death rate for Christians is no different than the death rate for non-believers. Okay? Until Jesus comes back, your life here only ends one way. And so we, we need to be prepared for that. I don't think we need to be scared of, of that, Right? I mean, you don't have to live your life in fear of, man, you know, is this the day that I get T-boned and it's all over? Because if so, listen, praise the Lord, right? You win. But we are not exempted from suffering. In fact, suffering is a reality. Now look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, Talking about suffering in general, now we're going to zero in really on on persecution. Suffering um, specifically because of the fact that we are followers of Christ. And here we have a promise. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. (laughs) Name it and claim it, right? (laughs) Listen, but but we need to understand, this is a, if you see that, that's given as a promise, right? All, that's all means all, okay? All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Well, he explains in verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Right now, as we speak, persecution is a reality for millions of believers all over the world. In fact, hear this and hear it clearly. The freedom that we experience to gather together to worship without fear of persecution is by far the exception, not the rule in the history of Christianity. Why is persecution a, re- a reality? The answer to that one is the same reason as, as 
to the, to the question, it's the same answer to the question of why we suffer in this life, why there's death in this life, and that is sin. Sin. Evil people, those who are enemies of God. We'll talk more about that in a second. And imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, now listen, this, this should come as no surprise, right? Because we, as we become an increasingly secular society uh, with disregard, perhaps even disdain for anything that resembles an objective morality. Persecution for religious people in general, and, and I think, I, as I kind of see the, the winds of culture shifting, maybe, maybe you've seen this as well, so for, for religious folks in general, and I think Christians in particular, is going to increase. Even here, from sea to shining sea. We're seeing it already in, in Samaria. Now, it doesn't mean we develop a persecution complex and, and we're, willing, we're trying to look for like a devil under every rock. That, that doesn't mean we go about our lives that way, but we need to understand this is a reality. And it's already reality for, for millions of believers around the world. Now, Timothy understood this. He spent considerable amount of time with Paul, and he would have seen Paul suffer for the sake of the gospel firsthand. Right now, uh, up in verse 11, Paul mentioned his, his persecutions and his sufferings in Iconium and, and uh, in Antioch, Iconium, and, and Lystra. And Acts 14 tells us that, that these are actually places that Paul planted churches. Um, said that he, he went around strengthening the disciples by encouraging, the, to continue in, encouraging them to continue in the faith and telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's not quite the salvation message that we preach today, right? We, we talk about the eternal life. We talk about the joy that exists in following Christ. and All that's true. But do you, do you hear what Paul's saying here, what he was preaching? It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So uh, listen, I mean, maybe, maybe we weren't told this enough um, when I don't think I was told this enough as a kid growing up. You, you, you want to come follow Christ as Savior? Awesome. It's the best decision you will ever make. But buckle up. We understand, right, that, that around the world there, there are believers who the moment they become a follower of Christ are marked by their family. And in many cases, in, in the best case scenario... They're disowned by their family. In the most extreme cases, they might even be marked for death by their family. Where they'll have a, in, in some Muslim countries, they actually have a family member who's coming after you actively to kill you. Because you've disgraced your family and you've disgraced Allah. It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. But, but hear me, it's worth it. It's worth it. There is nothing more exciting in this life than being a follower of Christ. 
So Romans 5.10 tells us that, that those who don't know Christ are, are not simply indifferent to him as many people in our culture would claim. In fact, the, the largest or the, the fastest growing religious population are called the nuns, not, not the Catholic ladies, um, but it's N-O-N-E-S, those who would mark no religious affiliation. It's the fastest growing religious group or the not religious. Tell me about your spiritual life. Oh, well, I'm not religious. They want to feign indifference. The problem is that the Bible says that there is no indifference. There, there's, no, there's no riding that fence. We are either reconciled to God or we are enemies of God. And so in the middle of a world, as, as we're called to, to continue to be salt and light, in the middle of a world that is dark, in a world that is hostile to the things of God, suffering and persecution should not surprise us. In fact, this is what I read in one of the commentaries, and I thought this was really good. Race car drivers should expect some crashes. Football players are not surprised by injuries. Baseball players know the ball will hit them sometimes. And soldiers expect to be shot at. Right? In a military community, we understand that. Can you imagine somebody going to the battlefield and coming in just white-faced? What happened? They shot at me. Yeah? They didn't tell me about that part of it, right? In a war zone. Listen, we are in a spiritual war zone. We should expect to be shot at. Instead of being surprised by opposition, we should be surprised when we do not face any. Then remember the words of Jesus. Here's another one of those promises, right? Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's John 15, 20. So then we see that the importance of the next thing. If, if, if suffering is reality, we need to recognize that. This next part is important. That is that we remain grounded in the faith. Right, so verse 13, look with me here. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, so, so Paul told Timothy he should, he should expect some suffering, but that doesn't mean that he's let off the hook of following Christ. And it doesn't mean that he's let off the hook of faithfully, faithfully proclaiming him. And we'll talk more about that next week as we get into chapter 4. And then after telling him to continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, Paul's going to remind Timothy again of what he learned and what he firmly believed. He says, from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures. We've already talked about Timothy's uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. We've mentioned that several times throughout the, the course of this book. And yet again, Paul's reminding Timothy, remember, you were taught the scriptures from the time you could hear. He reminds me of this legacy that exists that Paul himself passed on to Timothy and that he's then called to pass on to others, just like we saw in uh, chapter 2, verse 2. 
So here again, we see the importance of passing the faith along to children. Passing the faith along to the next generation. From infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, look here, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here we see one of the primary purposes of scripture for us, and that's to lead us to faith in Christ. In fact, Jesus said this himself to the Pharisees. In, in John 5.39, he says, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. Now keep in mind here, he's talking about the Old Testament. And, and he's speaking to religious leaders, teachers, who would have had more than likely the entire Old Testament memorized. And he's saying, you pour over them because you think in them you have life. You think that you're saved because of how well you keep the law. And yet it's they, that those scriptures testify about me, Jesus says. We see this again in, in Luke 24. Luke 24 is the account of um, Jesus meeting the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Excuse me, on, yeah, yeah, on the road to Emmaus, where they're talking amongst themselves about everything that had happened and, and their heads spinning but because this one who they thought was the Messiah had, had been crucified and was dead and and they're, they're talking about this, and Jesus walks up, and they don't recognize him, and he starts chatting with them as they're talking about him. Hey, guys, how's it going? Anything exciting happening in the area? And, and they look at him, and they go, are you crazy? This would be like somebody in Lubbock right now going, wait, Tech is in the national championship? It, like, like, where have you been, dude? <laughs> There was this guy, Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, and, and, and he, uh, um, he, he, was, he was killed on Friday. But, but now, some of our women went to the tomb, and he's gone, and, and we don't know exactly what's happening. And, and, and Jesus begins there, begins uh, and explains how the scriptures point to him. And at dinner, as he prays and breaks bread, suddenly their eyes are open, the scripture says, and they realize it's Jesus. Well, later on, he makes another appearance to the disciples. Disciples are gathered together trying to figure out what on earth they do from here. And, okay, Jesus is, is resurrected, but, but apparently Jesus didn't just spend time with them like he did before after the resurrection. And, and so they're all kind of gathered together. All right, so, so Jesus is resurrected. That's awesome. Now what? And Jesus appears to them. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's the entire Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Everything written about me, he says, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All of Scripture points to Jesus that we might come to know him. Remain grounded in We do that by relying, finally, on the promises of Scripture that point to Jesus. So, so here Paul just said, you've known from infancy the sacred Scriptures which are able to give you wisdom and salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
They're going to lead you to faith in Christ Jesus. But then he says this, all scripture, verse 16, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, in the Christian Standard Bible, uh, mine says all Scripture is inspired by God. Some translations there will say uh, uh, God breathed or breathed out by God. Uh, in fact, God breathed is probably the most accurate way to, to translate that phrase from the Greek. And, and it simply means that God is the one who spoke them. And we know he used men to do that, but, but God spoke them. God breathed Scripture. In fact, Peter clarifies this for us in 2 Peter 1. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture uh, comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Then Paul goes on and he explains more um, functions of Scripture in the life of a believer. He says it's, it's profitable for teaching Or showing us what to do, showing us how to live, for rebuking, for showing us how not to live, for correcting, how to stop living that way and start living this way, how to stop following after other things and start following after Christ. It corrects us. And for training in righteousness, how to continue following after Christ. Don't miss the why. I think often that, that's, where we, that's where we get off track, right? Scripture is good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And so we would say then study Scripture, which, by the way, you should do. There's no more effective tool that God's given us than his word. I've, I've, I know I've said this before, and I'll continue saying it because it's, it's, it's true. Studies have shown it, that the single most important factor in, in sustained spiritual growth is regular Bible reading. So for all the tools that we have, all the video-driven Bible studies, which are awesome and can be great, all the fancy apps that we have, all the books that have been written on spiritual growth, the most effective tool for sustained spiritual growth is God's Word. So why, and and I'm guilty of this, I've been guilty of this as well. Why do we shortchange this in favor of something else? Well, I'm going to read this book and it'll change my life. Listen, you know how long that lasts when I've read a book and I thought, this changed my life. In about two weeks, I've forgotten everything that I thought was going to change my life. So what if we, not not that we stop reading good books, but as, as Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books but live in the Bible. What if we began spending time in the book that we're actually promised will change our life? So that, here's the promise, or here's the why, so that the man of God or woman, man or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we know that Timothy was a, is a pastor, as Paul's writing this to him, okay? So, these words were written first and foremost to Timothy, who is a pastor. 
And it's in Scripture certainly profitable for those who teach and preach God's word. But it's also true for any man or woman of God. See, God's, words, God's word is sufficient to lead us into saving faith and to lead us into sanctification. You ever heard a story of somebody who was saved just because they got a Bible and they started reading it? Does that shock us when we hear that? Because we've been taught we've got to like come with this cool prepackaged uh, uh, gospel presentation, right? Whether that's three circles, which are good and effective, and we'll talk more about those in a, in a few weeks. Or whether that's some fancy track that's been developed that'll answer, that's guaranteed to answer any possible question that anyone could ever have about who God is. The stories that amaze me the most, and maybe they shouldn't surprise me at all, are the ones when somebody gets a Bible for the first time in a recovery house or in a prison cell and they start reading and they come to faith in Jesus. It's sufficient to lead us to Christ. It's sufficient to, for sanctification to, to help us grow into the image of Christ. In fact, from, from our own statement of faith, the, the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, it says this, the Holy Bible was writ written by men divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So listen, if we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, and that it's profitable, that it's good for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That, that is why I preach the way I do, primarily going through books of the Bible, because I want us to see God's Word as, uh, as a holistic unit. I want us to see Scripture as God has given it to us. So I always spend a large portion of our time to, together on Sunday mornings in this room, hearing from the Word of God. So why we have small groups and Sunday school classes, why we gather on Wednesday nights, it's, it's why I encourage you to be in God's Word daily because Scripture is sufficient. If we had no other means of knowing who God is, this would be enough. The Bible shows us that we're sinners, that our sin separates us from God, that it has in fact made us enemies of God as people. But it also shows us that God loved the world. He loved you and me so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to save us from our sins, to reconcile us, to restore us to God. So as we wrap up this morning, the question is simply this, how can you have a foundation of faith. Well, first of all, let me talk to those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus. You, we simply do the four things that we mentioned today. Remember what you've been taught. Re 
read, read the Bible, see, see what, it's, what it says to us. We, we need to also, yes, we realize the reality of suffering. Come to understand that's a, that, that is a reality in the world in which we live. Remain grounded in the faith. As we read the Bible and, and as we rely on the promises of Scripture, we allow that to point us to Christ. And that, that when our world is going all kinds of haywire around us, willing to, willing to believe nothing or willing to believe anything at all, we rely on the unchanging truth of Scripture. If you're a believer and you're not, if you're here and you're a believer and you're not in one of our small groups, let me encourage you, gather with us at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Come, come to the, the small group gathering that we have on Wednesday night where some ladies from the, from the step-up house join us. And we're simply walking through some basic discipleship right now. What it means to follow after Christ. What it, what it means to uh, be baptized. But if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me call you to that today. You can do that right here, right now. Have a, have a prayer that I've put on the screen. There's no magic words. There's no magic formula. It's just uh, a simple, uh, gives you some, some words to follow to repent of sin and trust in Christ. It says, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. And I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you don't have that foundation of faith, I would love to visit with you in just a moment and show you what it means that, that the reality that exists behind these words, that you can come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, come to follow him, and yes, through many hardships, we'll enter, we'll enter the kingdom of God, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing to gather together as a local body called the church. I pray that for the believers in the room, for those who've already put their faith and trust in you and are seeking to follow after you as best we know how, that, that you would give us a foundation of faith that's that's grounded in God's word. That through the word, you would shape and mold us in the image uh, of Christ. That through the relationships we have with other believers, we would be held accountable to, so that our actions match what we say we believe. There would be people who are passionate about sharing this message with a world that is lost in darkness and in confusion. And yes, that we would even be willing to suffer for the great and mighty name of Jesus. Father, if there's anyone in the room who's not yet taken that step of faith and trusting in Christ Jesus, may today be the day. May today be the day they turn from sin so I don't want to live that way anymore. And they trust in Christ, believing that as hard as it may be, the life that you have for us is far and away better and more precious than anything we could have on our own.
Thank you so much for sending Christ Jesus to be the way of salvation for us. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.